All right, good evening. Welcome back. Good to see you tonight. We have tonight and we have next week. So we're running out of Sunday nights in uh, 2016. Uh, Two weeks from tonight is Christmas, and uh, we will have a morning schedule only on Christmas Sunday. Um, And then the Sunday after is New Year's, where again we will have a morning schedule only uh, on New Year's Day. So for those couple of weeks, we'll uh, deal with that. And then we'll see what the Lord provides. Have you seen your email? Did you see the survey? Did you take the survey? All right, we need as much data as possible. Um, We're meeting on Thursday, so keep that in prayer as well. And um, then also after Thursday, uh, next Sunday is a deacon's meeting. So uh, a lot of decisions to be made and a lot of wisdom to be sought. But uh, as God has promised, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and without reproach. We can appreciate that. We're asking for a fish. He's not going to give us a snake. So uh, in asking for wisdom in, uh, in what to do moving forward, he will, uh, he will make these things clear. All right. Uh, we are in charismatology, and we left off. Uh, we had wrapped up the uh, section there dealing with the distinction between temporary and permanent and making sure we understand the purpose of spiritual gifts, uh, in particular the temporary gifts that have a temporary purpose. And uh, I thought we addressed that fairly well last week, and we're going to move on beyond that tonight. Uh, we'll have more on this when we talk about cessation, uh, because I think it goes hand in hand. When you have purpose on the one hand, you have cessation on the other hand, and you see that, in fact, uh, both hands come together in, uh, I think, the, the full detail on this. So I want to pick up with the biblical lists of spiritual gifts and the table that we have there on page 53. Before we do, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask the Father to set aside distractions and bless our time of study tonight. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we come before you tonight thankful for your truth and rejoicing in the basics, rejoicing in once again being able to review what we've studied in the past a number of times, several times, many times, many places, but every time we go through it again, we learn, we learn more, we, we uh, add detail, we flesh out some depths of things we hadn't considered before, and I just thank you that your word is infinite, no matter how many times we go back into it, Father, there's always more to learn, and we want to thank you for that. So bless our time in your word tonight. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, again, this is the 10th and final category in the Basics Notebook. We studied ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, and now kind of a sub-study under that, extension out of that, is then the study on spiritual gifts. Uh, because our church age is unique of all the ages before, and with the uh, blessings of, of universal giftedness. Let me uh, go ahead and expand this. I'm going to close the Bible window just for a moment and so I can make this window wider. Yeah, that's better. Because it's got a table that uh, got formatted here from a, a, pull, a full page thing into the software. But um, biblical lists of spiritual gifts. And it's useful to put them in columns and it's useful to kind of chart them side by side and see uh, because we have 1 Corinthians 12. And so the primary text that we deal with uh, longer, a greater development than even Romans 12, because 1 Corinthians 12 has two listings early in the chapter, later in the chapter, and then it has expansions through chapter 13 into chapter 14. Ultimately speaking, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is a, is a unit, and the, the chapter divisions are almost unfortunate in that regard. Uh, it would have been better maybe to, to keep it all together as a, as a unit. And the, and the love paragraph sits nested within that. The love paragraph is actually a spiritual gift development, uh, more so than a love development, but you know, we take it that way. Uh, but you see it for what it is when it's sitting there. So uh, looking at verses 8 through 10, looking at verses uh, 28 and then 29 and 30, looking, uh, and then looking to Romans 12, 6 through 8, and then the additional passages such as uh, Ephesians uh, 4, 11 or 1 Peter 4, 11, uh, that they kind of flesh out and give us more detail. But we've got to start with the main text itself, and that's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so as we read here in verses 8 through 10, the... Um, To the one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, 
to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing, that's the verb, uh, distributing, where we have varieties as a noun that's translated in verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And so what we have here in this paragraph is an expansion of verse 4, where there are varieties of gifts but one spirit. See, the same spirit. And so here we have this, the same spirit, one spirit, one spirit, one and the same spirit. We have an expansion in these verses of what verse 4 essentially says, only it's stretched out and we have some gifts that are listed here uh, in in this way. All right. So, um, coming back then to the table, uh, I just listed them for you in the in the chart. Word of wisdom, the logos sophias. Word of knowledge, logos noseos. Faith or pistis. All right, and that one's colored red. Why is that one colored red? Talk about that in a moment. Uh, I colored red the permanent spiritual gifts, the ones that abide throughout the totality of the church age. So word of wisdom, word of knowledge, these are uh, temporary gifts that were utilized in the early church in the foundational era of the church, what we call the apostolic age. And uh, those first two, by the way, are debatable. Uh, we can discuss those. There are pastors that hold them as permanent gifts, and uh, and I don't, uh, and, and we have a, a scriptural basis for why not that we'll talk about tonight. You're going to get the doctrine of cessation tonight, and it'll be very useful for you if you're sitting down in a coffee shop or talking to a, uh, a Pentecostal or a non-cessationist, as they like to call themselves, and uh, we'll discuss that when we reach that point. Um, gifts of healing, temporary gift, charismata, Yamaton, there, effects of miracles, energemata, dunamaton. And those are phrased slightly differently than the other gifts. Um, and that's worth discussion as well at some point. Prophecy, we're familiar with, prophetia, distinguishing spirits, diacrises, pneumaton, kinds of, and that one too, uh, some people hold to be a permanent gift for the ongoing church age. All right. I don't think it's, I think when you see the purpose of it, it, uh, it loses that purpose once the canon is complete. Uh, but we'll discuss that. Kinds of tongues, the gene glosson, and then the interpretation of tongues, hermeneia, where we get the word hermeneutic, the hermeneia glosson. So those, uh, those are the gifts that are mentioned there. And then what I did, when, I, when we came back to it again in verse 28, verse 29 and 30 of the same chapter, all right, we're talking about the same chapter, same author, same context, just further down in the, in the chapter, uh, he goes through another listing of apostles or of uh, of gifts, and so uh, we can look at them here. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and in this section, unlike the previous section, which are kind of thrown out on an ad hoc basis or if, uh, just top of his head kind of listing, this one actually is enumerated. This one has first, second, third, and then a bunch of thens. Then miracles, then uh, healing, then helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. And so in the listing there, we see, um, again, uh, the giftedness here. Uh, The phrase for gifts of healing, again, is a unique construction. It's different. It's almost, uh, it's not, it's like... um, even the language of the gift itself, I think, speaks to its temporary nature. If you think, uh, you know, I don't have gifts of pastoring. I have a pastor-teacher gift, okay? But the way that it's phrased here, and we'll come back again to the table. You notice the charismata hematon there. Same thing uh, in uh, verse 28 that we had previously earlier in the chapter. So what I did on this table then, I went ahead and I listed them as well, but then marked out, of course, if it was uh, permanent versus temporary. Also, if it had not previously been mentioned in, a, in an earlier column. And the shaded areas, you have shaded areas in your printed notebook. I don't have the shaded areas when I, when I imported this into Logos, so I lost my shading when I imported this into Logos. That's part of what's confusing me here as well. All right, so work with me. All right. Uh, Apostles, prophets, again, temporary gifts, and we'll discuss why when we get to the cessation aspect. Teachers, here's our didaskalus, the plural of didaskalas, permanent, ongoing, abiding gift for the church age. 
uh, miracles, dunamis, these are works of power. And in fact, it's worthy of discussing the, the dunamis there as opposed to um, the energemata dunameon that we had earlier, the effecting of miracles. Uh, that's worthy of a discussion because the, the syntax is different in the two expressions. Were they the same gift? Were they not the same gift? And at this point it's kind of academic because they're over and done with by the time the canon is complete. But I think it's worthy of, uh, of exploration. Again, gifts of healings, the charisma tachyamaton. Okay? And so you could think of this, I think the healing gifts you could think of as a, as a finite number of, of charisma that they had. That they had, you know, think about, think of it as like, you know, that's oh, terrible, coupons in a tear-off coupon book or something, you know. And they had these, and each time they healed, they were dispensing one of their charismata, see. And then, of course, diminishing, diminishing, diminishing until they're out of the, the charismata. We're going to see healing is done away with by far in advance of the uh, completion of the canon of Scripture. They were already running out of their allotted healing charismata. Um, in uh, why Trophimus was left sick at Miletus and why Timothy was told to drink a little wine for his stomach and, and things of that nature. The, the actual healing charismata were already um, uh, departing or being exhausted. Uh, helps antilimpsis, an ongoing permanent gift. Administrations, kubernetes, an ongoing permanent gift. Um, and, and this is the one that we discussed in the seminary class, in the PMW class, as it relates to the piloting of a, of a ship in a, in, a, in a harbor. Again, it's kinds of tongues, same language as before, the Gene Gloson, kinds of tongues. Then um, this one verse then, verse 28, gets expanded a little bit more in verses 29 and 30 with these rhetorical questions. All are not apostles, are they? Okay, And it answers itself, clearly, you know, that's not how the church is designed. We're not a mono-body body. Uh, we have different body parts, and the, the body parts work together. And if everybody in the church was, was a pastor, how boring of a church would that be, right? And if everybody was an apostle, if everybody... No, you've got to have the variety of these gifts. All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? You know, uh, when you highlight this, workers of miracles, healings, uh, speaking with tongues, that's a huge one. Because Pentecostals today want to tell you that everybody should speak in tongues, right? And if you don't speak in tongues, well, then you haven't been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And they mark that as a, as a benchmark, as criteria for whether, you know, you've had the second blessing or not, or whether, you know, you're part of that, that group, see. But this verse right here says not everybody does that. Even when it was a real gift, not everybody did that. So why are we trying to inject that into the modern world then uh, in the... 19th, 20th, 21st centuries as this, uh, this phenomena uh, became manifest once again in, uh, in church history. Uh, all do not have the gifts of healings, do they? And again, that's that language, the charismata of, uh, of the healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will st- show you a still more excellent way. So I uh, did the same thing here in this third column, just listed them top to bottom as they were listed in the text, um, coloring the ones red that, uh, that are permanent, and uh, tongues and the interpretation of tongues. All right, then um, Romans 12. And in Romans 12, we have a different listing with uh, some that's overlapping, like prophecy that overlaps, but um, and teacher, but some that doesn't, a lot that doesn't. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, um, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. That's an awful lot of helping text that's inserted there uh, in the English to try to bridge a a logical gap that the Greek leaves uh, unbridged. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith... If service in his serving, so now we start to see these additional gifts. We hadn't seen service as a gift in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, but it's listed here. He who teaches, we saw already. He who exhorts, that's, that's unique here to Romans, not in 1 Corinthians, the exhortation gift and his exhortation. He who gives with liberality, not in Corinthians, but it is here, the gift of giving. He who leads, prohistemi, all right? Not in uh, in First Corinthians. It is in First Thessalonians. Not in a gifted catalog, but in a in a function within the church. 
And some people take that gift of leadership and they make it equivalent to pastor teacher, but I don't think there's a text of the New Testament that allows you to do that. So he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. There's another gift, the mercy shower. The mercy shower. Not in Corinthians, but it is listed there. So again, taking those gifts and listing them out. Most of these, by the way, are permanent abiding gifts. Prophecy is not, of course, but service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, showing mercy. All of these are permanent abiding gifts for the church age. And uh, and here in a minute we'll talk about cessation and why some of them cease, why some of them are why one of them ceases, why many more of them are done away, and why only eleven of them abide for the uh, the, the permanent duration of the church age. All right, and then the last of these, uh, well, a couple of these, uh, Ephesians four and First Peter four eleven. Now these are much shorter. In fact, First Peter doesn't technically list the gifts, but it does give us a useful categorization of the gifts. Um, but Ephesians four talks about gifted believers, and this is not the Holy Spirit giving gifts to believers. This is Jesus Christ gifting gifted believers to local assemblies. He, Jesus Christ, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Okay? And whether you're reading in the English or you're reading in the Greek, uh, there's only four some ases. Okay? There's not a fifth some as. It's not some as pastors and some as teachers. It's the fourth some as is a hyphenated some as pastors and teachers. And uh, as you look at it there, the tus de, tus de, tus de. In, uh, I should color those at some point. The tus de, tus de, tus de, tus de. And here's our third and final tus de. And poimenus kai didaskalus, shepherds and teachers. Anyway, so we, we take that as a fourth hyphenated gift, the pastor-teacher gift, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Every gift edifies, but these gifts equip and edify. And there's a distinction to be found in the equipping gifts. So we think about equipping, like a drill sergeant, like a boot camp, like the role that pastors and evangelists have in equipping the saints. All right, so we deal with that. Again, 1 Peter 4.11 is not a catalog of gifts per se, but it is a useful division that Peter speaks about since we have gifts, and he breaks them down into the speaking category and the serving category. Whoever speaks, back up a verse, um, as each one has received a gift, as each one has received a charisma, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We have been graced that's what a gift is. A gift is a grace thing, a charisma. Charis is grace, and charisma is a grace thing. And we've been graced. We've received grace thing, a grace thing. So use it as a good steward of the manifold grace of God and serve one another. My gift is for everybody but me. <laughs> My gift is for the body of Christ, specifically for this flock where I've been assigned. And your gift is for everybody but you. Your gift is to edify others, to bless others, each of us. Uh, we don't uh, have the gift to uh, to please ourselves. And so then breaking it down into these categories, whoever speaks is to do so who is speaking as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And that carries all of the fear and reverence and, and, and awe as uh, was in the Old Testament for prophets and false prophets and those that would dare to stand and say, thus saith the Lord. You are communicating the oracles of God and how dare you pass off as gods your own vain imaginations or your opinions or, or so forth speaking the utterances of god and then whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which god supplies and so those are useful categories breaking down into the speaking gifts versus the serving gifts uh, pastor evangelist exhorter and teacher those are your communication gifts your speaking gifts uh helps and giving and and uh and those other uh gifts uh, are the uh serving gifts say Again, uh, useful categories, those who speak and those who serve. All right. So any questions on this table? Any questions? I know I'm going through this very quickly. It's because I got tonight and next week. <laughs> okay. We've got to hit it hard. I, I'd, I'd hate to come back in January after a three-week break 
and try to just have one final piecemeal class or something to kind of, I'd rather tie this together and package it up and, 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 and you know, wrap it all up before, the, before the, the break that we have here at the end of the year. All right, so let's uh, talk about cessation. And for this, we've got to turn to 1 Corinthians 13 and develop the, the prime text for cessationism. That's 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails, but... <laughs> okay. Um, here's the done away and the cessation that we've got to deal with. And, and it's, it's not tough. I mean, a, a basic reading, a, a careful reading, a clear understanding is, is easily attainable in English as well as Greek. You don't have to necessarily exegete or bring it out. An English reader can get the same detail that a Greek reader can get if they're careful with it. All right. I have found, too, um, a lot of Pentecostals are, are, are touchy. Is that fair? I guess so. Um, and, and a lot of them are, are, are nervous in the sense that telling them that what they're doing is demonic is, is not easy to do uh, if they've been doing it for a while. Okay? And if uh, they're, they're truly born again and they love Jesus, I mean, who wants to, you can't eat of the table of the Lord, the table of demons, you can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons, and, and if, they're, if they're fiddling with demons, that's, that's, that's a concern, okay? And I share that concern. I, I have, I'm hugely concerned over believers mixed up in that kind of stuff. And, and so when I'm face-to-face with somebody who has this in their background, um, I, I'm going to be gracious, I want to be cautious and, and gentle, but it's not the Holy Spirit producing that. So what is it? Okay. And what is it that's producing that in the in the pagan lands, in the in the villages and so forth, where this phenomena occurs in, in tribal settings? So uh, it's not the Holy Spirit doing this stuff. All right. Uh, so let's let's work our way through here. The Old Testament giftings illustrate something very important for us. That's why I took the time earlier to talk about the tabernacle builders and the seamstresses that, that did the garments for the high priest and those that, that fashioned the furnishings for the tabernacle or, or other things. God gave giftedness to those certain men for that purpose, for that time, and no one since then has ever had the gift of tabernacle building. No one since then has ever had the, any of those, the, the craftsmanship gifts other than when they built the tabernacle, when they built the temple. So for those seasons, they had those temporary gifts. I think for the building of the church, they had those temporary temporary gifts, see, in the apostolic age for the foundation of the church. So when that particular purpose for the gift is complete, the distribution of that gift ceases. So uh, it's not like the believer just all of a sudden loses his gift. It's just that it's no longer given in that next generation once the, the purpose is accomplished in the apostolic generation. So tabernacle building and temple building are good examples for temporary giftedness. Nobody today receives the gift of tabernacle building. It would be ludicrous for God to distribute such a gift. The church originally featured 20 spiritual gifts, and some of the particular purposes that some particular gifts had in the early church are no longer features of the present church. So we have features of the apostolic church unique to that age that are no longer features today, including, of course, the writing in the New Testament, including bridging the gap from an Old Testament understanding to a New Testament understanding. We no longer need to bridge that gap now that we have a New Testament. It has already been observed that the particular purpose for the apostles and prophets was foundational. Two weeks ago as we were closing our session, we were in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3, and we looked at the purpose of of the foundation, laying the foundation. The church built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Since those particular purposes are no longer extant, the particular gifts are no longer distributed. Those gifts have ceased to be distributed. And it's a simple matter for the Holy Spirit to stop giving those gifts to people in the generations following the the completion of the canons, as as we understand it. Other such gift cessation is clearly outlined in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 and following, explicitly marks the uh, cessation of certain gifts, one in particular, tongue shall cease. The remainder uh, are implicitly marked, and we'll discuss that as well. It may not be explicit, but it's implicit. If the signs of a true apostle were exhibited among you, <laughs> okay, miracles were signs of a, of a legitimate apostolic ministry. 
Well, if there's no more apostles around, why would you need the signs of an apostolic ministry? See, clearly, that's implicit. Once the apostle purpose is complete, so too are the attestation gifts, the miracles and the healings and those attestation gifts that are spoken of as being the attestation of a true apostle. So explicitly marked out are prophecy, tongues, and word of knowledge. Implicitly marked, then, is distinguishing of spirits, interpretation of tongues, and word of wisdom. And they're implicit. They're implicit in the way that word of wisdom is linked to word of knowledge because they're linked that way in the, in the listings. Because uh, word of knowledge is, is done away, we can assume that word of wisdom is done away. Likewise, tongues is done away, interpretation of tongues is done away. Who would, why would God be so stupid as to give somebody the interpretation of tongues when nobody else on the planet has the gift of tongues? <laughs> okay? it, would, uh, it would not make sense to, uh, to distribute that gift. Tongues itself is a separate matter from prophecy and word of knowledge. We'll see that. Uh, tongues ceases, but prophecy and word of knowledge are done away okay and that's important that pattern is there the verbs are there in uh, in the greek in the english and they're consistent for us to spot in this uh in this class tonight um so as i'm looking at that paragraph let's let's make sure we're clear on this all right so let me get my bible here first corinthians 13 and the love paragraph is showing the the love, the agape mandate for all giftedness. Ending, culminating here in verse 8, love never fails, but if, and there are, gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. There's our done away verb, okay? If there are tongues, they will cease. Different verb. And so whatever we do with done away, we've got to handle differently than cease because they're different verbs. And then uh, we go back to the Dunaway verb in the third illustration here. Um, so if there are prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. So there we have it. Dunaway, cease, Dunaway. Prophecy, tongues, word of knowledge. All right? Follow all that? That's, that's the pattern, okay? Because this now gets expanded in the verses that follow. Um, verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. That's word of knowledge, that's gift of prophecy. Okay? Just reverse the order. It's almost like a poem at this point. The, I think the poetry of this passage is, is important, and it may be that this whole text was originally given to be memorized, given to be sung, perhaps. In any event, we, ha- we, have, we know in part, we prophesy in part. And that in part, in part is vital. That in part, in part is a little bit of this, a little bit of this. Okay? Or this and that. On the one hand this, on the other hand that. And they come together. The in part, in part. This tandem, you can't lose sight of. Because if you lose sight of this tandem, then you, you uh, are vulnerable to some bad application when we talk about when the perfect comes. The in part, in part will be done away. Okay, So keep in mind, the in part, the in part. We know in part... We prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial, in part this, in part that, the partial will be done away. And so we're talking about reality. We're talking about how they operated in the early church. This is important. How they operated in the early church. There was part of what they knew. And prophecy made up the difference. Okay? Part of what they knew is in part, prophecy in part. Okay? This is huge. As the New Testament is being written, Just put yourself back in that day and age. You're a New Testament believer, but you don't have a New Testament. (laughs) Okay? And so there's what you know through reading the Old Testament, but that's not enough. What you know, the Old Testament doesn't teach you how to be a pastor, how to be a deacon, how to run a church, how to be filled with the Spirit, how to all the mystery doctrine in the New Testament. None of that is known. Okay? Because all they have is an Old Testament. They know in part, they prophesy in part. And so through prophetic utterance, the in part, in part comes together to allow these believers to function. So we know in part, we prophesy in part. Then uh, that circumstance is the reality. You'll notice, verse 9 is present tense. 
This is what we do. Paul includes himself in this. Paul includes the Corinthians. Paul includes uh, the, all the believers of that day and age. This is what they do. This is how they do church on a Sunday morning. This is how they operate in the body of Christ. Because they don't have a New Testament yet. What, what, what books in the New Testament have been written when Paul is writing 1 Corinthians? Probably, I mean, Galatians, we know for sure, because Paul wrote it. And um, when he reaches first, uh, the Corinth on that missionary journey, he then writes First and Second Thessalonians. So we have very little New Testament being written. And uh, we see that we have this in part, in part circumstance. And that's the present reality. This is what we presently do. We presently know. We presently pr- prophesy. In part, in part. And by putting that together, this is how they operate. But that's not the way it's always going to be. Because that, that, that circumstance is only a contingent necess- made necessary by the, the new church. See, it will no longer be necessary when the perfect comes. As the New Testament is completed. And this is a neuter noun, the perfect thing. It's not the perfect man. It's not Jesus Christ. It's the perfect. It is the perfect that replaces the in part, in part. Because the in part, in part is not perfect. The in part, in part is like, you know, you're making do. You're getting by. You're doing what you need to to, to make it work, but it's only in the meantime. When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Once the New Testament is complete, once the canon of Scripture is complete, then we have, we can know. We can know. We can know with the Hebrew canon. We can know with the Greek canon. We can know. And we no longer need to bridge that gap. We no longer need to supplement what we know on a limited basis with what we can prophesy in prophetic utterance to, to make up the difference. See? So, is this making sense? As the New Testament is being written, see, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Those kind of things were given through prophetic utterance until such time as they were recorded in, in Galatians. The whole New Testament, that way, the whole mystery revelation was that way. It was revealed through the apostles and through the prophets. All right, so uh, this is what's specifically marked out. Now I'm going to skip the tongues paragraph for the moment just to make sure I didn't lose any detail here. Uh, Prophecy and word of knowledge have another basis for their being abolished. I like the verb abolish. It's a good verb for done away. Um, These gifts function in a revelatory manner during the apostolic age of the church. And this is going to get expanded more in chapter 14. The revelatory nature of these gifts. Without a New Testament to unfold the wisdom and knowledge of the Old Testament for church application, these revelatory gifts serve to do just that, to reveal our applications. Remember, the foundation of the church was laid by the apostles and the prophets. 1 Corinthians 13, 9-13, which we just read, and actually I didn't finish reading this, because now we have metaphors. We have a mere metaphor, we have a childlike metaphor. Let's look at these verses. Um, Verse 11 says, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. And so there's a metaphor that's employed here to describe this. That going from the impart, impart circumstance to the perfect circumstance is illustrated with a growing up metaphor. The church grew up as the canon was complete. And then there's the mirror metaphor. But now, in this in part, in part reality, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, then, with a complete canon of Scripture, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. And so this is something Paul's expecting in his lifetime. He's expecting on this this earth. And by the way, this is all about using our gifts for the edification of the body of Christ, this whole chapter. Chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. For the people that try to say, well, that's talking about when we get to heaven. When we get to heaven, we'll be face to face with Jesus Christ. Really? I mean, yeah, I'm not mocking that. Yes, I get that. When we are in heaven, we will be face to face with Jesus Christ. But that's not what this text is saying. This text is saying that we will have a face to face reality with 
the scriptures. We won't be looking dimly as in a mirror. And the whole point of this is we can engage the scriptures for the mutual edification of one another. That's not what we're going to be doing in heaven. I'm retired in heaven as far as my pastor-teacher gift for the flock of Austin Bible Church is concerned. All right? And your gift of evangelism. Who are you going to evangelize in heaven? Your gift of giving. God doesn't need your money in heaven. All right? Your gift of, I mean, all these gifts. The use of these gifts is during the church age for us to edify one another. And we're not going to be doing that when we get to heaven. We'll have a new role in heaven. We'll have a new role in the resurrection as the bride of Christ, as, as ministers of the new covenant to the nation of Israel and the service that we'll do to the Jewish people in the millennial kingdom. We will not be exercising these ecclesiastical gifts in the same way that we do today, all right, in the church age. And so that gets lost, I think, by people that would just want to view heaven there in verse 12. And so two metaphors are given. The, the, the child growing up is a metaphor. The apostolic age was the childish age of the church. And you want to go back to that? No, I don't want to go back to that. I'm thankful that we've got 20 centuries of, of doctrine that's been developed through church history. I'm glad we got, you know, uh, we just had a conference where we were celebrating the life and ministry of, of Tim LaHaye. And thank God for Tim LaHaye. Thank God for Charles Ryrie. Thank God for these men. And now they're with the Lord and we honor them. But we're hoping that in the next century, younger men are going to come along and build on what those men did. They need to. So, um, again, this paragraph here. uh, The description of the church where word of knowledge gives a partial mirror-like view. View of what? Well, a view of the believer's own heart and how accountable we are to God. That's one way to think of it. And I think uh, in Hebrews 4, we see that as the word of God is, uh, is a judge, critical judge of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Prophecy gives a different partial mirror-like view. So these different parts must be put together. And even so, the view is still mirror-like. Even when you have a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you put them together, it's still like, you know, I'm just looking in a mirror. I'm only, I'm only seeing it indirectly. I need to drop the mirror and just look right at it. And that's what we have with a completed canon. So by extension, the gifts of apostle and word of wisdom would be other revelatory gifts applying these partial mirror-like views. Also uh, discerning of spirits. Because as the Holy Spirit is composing the New Testament, we uh, can rightly understand, and we see it in Second Thessalonians, that there are deceiving spirits that are trying to upset the church. And so these churches had to be clear on what was from the Lord and what was not, what, what belongs in the Bible, what doesn't. They uh, had to, uh, to have those revelatory gifts, discerning of spirits as a revelatory gift that accepts a book as being canon or not, Bible or not. All right, as more and more of the New Testament was written, there would be less and less need for these revelatory gifts to unfold the wisdom and knowledge of the Old Testament for church application. Simply speaking, as we have more and more of the New Testament, the New Testament equips us to make the applications we need of all the Old Testament doctrine as well as now the New Testament mystery doctrine. And so there's less and less need of that. See, it's kind of like the burning bush. Who needs a burning bush anymore? (laughs) Moses needed a burning bush when God was calling him to go deliver Israel out of Egypt. But you'll note uh, the burning bush... uh, God could, I suppose, put a burning bush in each one of our backyards and say, there you go. You don't need a Bible. Just go out in the backyard every night and God will speak to you through a burning bush. Okay? You know, listen, pay attention. But, but he didn't design it that way. He designed it with a canon. He designed a written body of material. A Hebrew canon, a Greek canon. He put it together for us in this, in this way. And this is the arrival of the perfect as more and more of the New Testament was written, there would be less and less need for these revelatory gifts to unfold the wisdom and knowledge of the Old Testament for church application. The New Testament text would fulfill that function. We would no longer need the prophetic utterance of apostles and prophets to unfold for us what is the church reality. The New Testament does that. So the arrival of the perfect would supply a complete face-to-face-like view of our stewardship responsibility before the Lord. With no further particular purpose for these spiritual gifts, God the Father abolished their distribution. Now, 
Uh, we can turn to Philippians 2. We can turn to 1 Timothy 5. Uh, drink a little wine for your stomach. For 2 Timothy 4.20. Uh, Trophimus, I left sick at Miletus. Um, this would add healing to the gifts which were disappearing as the New Testament was being completed and as the apostolic age was drawing to a close. 2 Corinthians 12.12 12 and Hebrews 2.2-4 2, would add miracles to the gifts which had a particular purpose tied to the various apostolic ministries. You'll note, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Why were those gifts given? They were attesting the legitimacy of an apostolic ministry. False apostles, false prophets came in, and if they tried to replicate this, their false signs and wonders could be viewed and observed for what they are. And those with a discerning of spirits would spotlight them and say, no, that's a demon. No, that's a fraud. And so God validated his own apostles and the writing of the text as he composed the New Testament text. If we're in a post-apostolic age, we no longer need those signs to attest to that giftedness. Likewise, Hebrews 2, 2 through 4. The word spoken through angels and how will we escape. Uh, it says, after it was at first, at the first, the author of Hebrews is, is viewing this as a past completed days gone by reality. As it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Whether it was Barnabas or Luke or whoever it would have been, they didn't hear it directly from the Lord. They heard it from the apostles, from those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, by various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Those sign gifts were attestations of the legitimate apostolic ministry. Proof text, by the way, that Paul could not have been the author of Hebrews because Paul got his revelation directly from the Lord. All right, microphone up here, please. We've got a question. Uh, right there. Mm-hmm. May I go back to uh, 1310? 13, 1 Corinthians 13.10? Yes, sir. Yes, uh-huh. Uh, so what I hear you saying is that when the perfect comes, you're referring to the perfect as the c- closing of the canon. The complete circumstance where in part, in part is no longer necessary. I see. So it's not a reference to the second coming, is no. it? No. I see. Well, I mean, how about, how about reconciliation of that with the text in 12, verse 12, which says that, I know, um, now I know in part, but then I'll know fully. Uh-huh. Uh, seems to be, to me at least, more like a time of the second coming where I'll know fully versus I'm um, not really following how you would equate that with the closing of the canon. Yeah, now we know fully because uh, we have all things pertaining to life and godliness. That we have the precious and magnificent promises. We have the the Hebrew and the Greek scriptures. We have uh, we know fully everything we need to know for the edification of one another in the body of Christ. And so, again, this is a spiritual gift text that talks about believers edifying fellow believers in the church age. And so to take a verse and try to thrust it forward to the second advent or any time post-rapture, any time post-church, destroys the, the context of this chapter is talking about church, is talking about the, the body serving the body, the members serving the members, us using our gifts for the edification of one another. That has to, we have to keep that in a church age context or we lose it. And so if you make this the coming of the, the perfect and, and so forth. By the way, uh, extra credit too. Um, and I've never had a Pentecostal answer this for me. Uh, Joel speaks of prophecy starting when the Lord returns in his second advent. Okay? So, I mean, if you go to Joel 2, um, 28... It will come about after this, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Here's a, here's a day of the Lord prophecy. Here's what we would call the tribulation, the second advent, the beginning of the millennium of Jesus Christ. And clearly, prophecy starts at the second advent of Jesus Christ. 
This is a coming promise to Israel in the millennium. Jewish people will be spirit and dwell. All humanity will be spirit and dwell in the millennium. But Jewish people will be in the prophetic office. So all mankind receives the spirit, but your sons and daughters, Jewish people, will prophesy. So the second advent is the commencement of prophecy, of a prophetic ministry. You see that? Second advent is the commencement of prophetic ministry. Now come back to 1 Corinthians 13, whereby the the perfect coming is the termination of prophetic ministry. Where when the perfect comes, the in part in part will be done away. So when the perfect comes in 1 Corinthians 13, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 10, um, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. And, you know, you look at verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, all the, the done away there is the, is the prophecy. So, you know, if you insist on saying, oh, that's second advent, that's second advent, second advent, say, well, then you're talking out of both sides of your face. Because you're telling me in Joel that that's the kickoff, that's when prophecy starts. But you're telling me in Corinthians that no, that's the that's the closing uh, that's the closing bell. Uh, that's when prophecy ends. We won't need prophecy anymore because we're going to know fully. <laughs> okay, all right. So I got a conundrum then. How can it start and stop on the same event? Okay, it's not the same event because when the perfect comes, it has nothing to do with the second advent of Jesus Christ. All right, we have a question up here on the front row, please. Microphone. Cross the aisle and come to the front. Actually, more comment, more of the uh, two sides of the mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, they want the word that's translated "perfect" to be to be used as "perfect" and to hammer that home. Hope, perfect, 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 mm-hmm. because then they claim that the scripture, as we have it, isn't perfect because of all the variations. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. And and but at the same time, they will say that when it applies to people, it doesn't mean perfect. It means mature. Mature. Right, <laughs> and mature is a great translation, particularly since we have the child and and, and adult yeah. illustration right there. So yeah. they want the gifts to continue because they're doing them, and they don't want to admit that mm-hmm. they're coming from a demonic source. So they they do this a lot of rationalization to yeah uh, wordplay mm-hmm. to push it all the way out to the end. Sort of like the people who. Say the rapture is just going to be before the second advent. We're going to go up, come right back down again. Right. It's the same. You can't have it both ways. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Thank you for that. All right, now, um, so we've seen the, the, the done away, done away, but what about the tongues? Tongues is different. Tongues is in the middle of that, of that trinity there. If there, are tongue, if there is prophecy, it'll be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. So in between our done away sandwich, okay, top loaf of bread, bottom, you know, slice of bread, in between that done away sandwich is the gift of tongues. And tongues is not done away. Tongues is not abolished by the completed canon. Tongues is not abolished by the perfect coming. Tongues is not a part of this in part, in part revelatory thing for the body of Christ. Tongues is a different feature. Tongue specifically ceases, and it has a different explanation for its ceasing. And so now in this, then, it's a separate matter from prophecy and word of knowledge. Tongues ceases, but prophecy and word of knowledge are done away. The end of prophecy and the word of knowledge is developed in the final portion of chapter 13, and we just went through that in uh, verses 9 through 13. Um, But tongues, however, gets its own development, and that comes across in chapter 14. And uh, you'll notice that here in, in uh, the early verses of verse 14, where uh, we mention prophecy a couple of times, and then we transition over to discussing um, tongues and uh, how they are done, how prophecy is done for edification, exhortation, consolation, but then tongues. And what does tongues do? And what is tongues designed for? And uh, specifically, why are tongues given? Uh, in this way. So um, understanding of tongue cessation comes when it is related to its Old Testament prophecy. 
tongues ceases. All right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to compare Scripture to Scripture. We're going to say, why do we even have the gift of tongues? What is it there for? Who's it designed for? And in particular, and I know there's a lot leading up to this in the first uh, um, 19 verses, okay? But if you glance down to verses 20 and following, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In other words, grow up. In the law, or the Old Testament, it is written. It's actually from the book of Isaiah. It's not a problem calling it Torah, but that's okay. In the Old Testament, it is written, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. And even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now this, is, this comes out of Isaiah, and it's vital that we get this. The gift of tongues is a warning to the Jewish people. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. See, prophecy is a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. And so a prophet and the ministry of the prophets in the early church had its own purpose, but the gift of tongues was a warning to, uh, to the Jews. So we look at verses 20 uh, through 22. We look at Isaiah chapter 28, especially in Isaiah 28, verses 11 through 13. Indeed, he will speak to this people through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. You understand how revolutionary the church age is? From Abraham to Christ, Jewish people have been the stewards. Jewish people have been the preachers. Jewish people have been the prophets. The scriptures are Jewish scriptures in the Hebrew language. And anyone that wants to know about the creator God of the universe has to get it from a Jew, somebody that's a part of the nation, because the creator God of the universe is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, Zeus isn't going to help them. <laughs> or uh, any of the, you know, Odin or Thor, any of the, any of the pagan gods. You've got to go to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the creator God of the universe, and the Jewish people will edify you through the Jewish scriptures, okay? Until this shocking event when the Holy Spirit descends on the day of Pentecost and church-age saints now, filled with the Holy Spirit, begin to speak in tongues, and Jewish people are the first ones impacted by that and go, wow, what is this? What is this? It's Isaiah being fulfilled. Be warned, okay? Through uh, stammering lips and a foreign tongue. He who said to them, here is rest, give rest to the weary, and here is repose. But they would not listen. They would not listen. The Prince of Peace arrived and they crucified him. And so Israel has had their stewardship suspended. And now stammering lips is their warning in the first century. Even so, so the word of the Lord to them will be order on order, order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there. And they may go and stumble backward, be broken, snared, and taken captive. Broken, snared, and taken captive. Now, anytime we have a captivity text, we want to identify it. As far as Isaiah is concerned, it might be a future uh, Babylonian captivity. Or it might refer to... Uh, the Roman captivity in 70 AD, or even conceivably it could refer to the Antichrist captivity. It might refer to the destruction of Jerusalem in the tribulation. All right, any, any, any prophetic passage that refers to the destruction of Jerusalem or the demise of the Jewish people could be a Babylonian context, it could be a, a Roman context, it could be a, a, an Antichrist context, depending on where it's given in the Old Testament. And Isaiah is in front of all of those. So Isaiah could be a Babylonian. However, Clearly, when the Apostle Paul is using this in 1 Corinthians, it's no longer a Babylonian content. In fact, it specifically says it's a first century content. That the gift of tongues is in the first century warning the Jews. You got these barbarian languages, these Gentile tongues, Scripture being written in Greek. All of a sudden, we've had 400 silent years and no Bible written. And now God, again, resumes His Bible writing and uh, isn't doing so in Hebrew. Okay? I think he picks all Jewish authors, um, but he's writing in Greek. He's writing in Greek, okay? By the way, I'm, I've become convinced in just the last two months since reading this text I was telling you about, um, for years we've always thought of Luke as a Gentile. Um, I think there's very good reason to believe he was not, that he was Jewish, and in fact he was Levitical. And uh, given that in Luke and Acts, if that evidence is true, then there is no reason why he could not also be the author of Hebrews, being a Levitical Jew, 
uh, he'd be a great candidate and connected to the Apostle Paul would be a great candidate for the authorship of Hebrews. So if it's not Barnabas, uh, I think Luke is is uh, a good option for Hebrew authorship speculation. All right, so back now to this. Here is our Isaiah prophecy. And we're told, we are explicitly told, Paul says, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to those who don't believe. That is, to the unbelieving Jews in the first century that had crucified their Christ and were not identifying the fact that they had lost their stewardship. They hear these languages and they would know that they're going to stumble, be broken, and taken captive. So tongues then ceases when its particular purpose for warning Israel, uh, the destruction of Israel is complete. There's no reason to warn of the 70 AD destruction of Jerusalem after 70 AD. You don't have to warn the Jews about the, the Titus destroying Jerusalem after Titus destroys Jerusalem. And so nobody after 70 AD has, has ever been distributed the gift of tongues by God the Holy Spirit. Because the purpose for that is has ceased. So anyway, um, does that make sense? Are we clear? Be, and we're doing this not because our theology demands it and we don't like Pentecostals. Okay, We're doing this because the text demands it. Chapter 14 is clear that tongues are a sign and it cites specifically Isaiah 28. And so the comparison of 1 Corinthians 14 and Isaiah 28 leaves the undeniable conclusion that the warning for the destruction of Jerusalem is no longer necessary. Now, um, in this, by the way, tongues will cease. Plain as day. Verse uh, 13.8. 1 Corinthians 13.8. If there are tongues, they will cease. Plain and simple. And uh, the last time I sat down with a, a Pentecostal at a coffee shop, um, he said, oh, are you a cessationist? I said, yeah. So are you. He goes, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I said, yeah, you are. So I made him open his Bible, asked him, I said, what does that verse say? Tongues will cease. So you're a cessationist unless you don't believe that verse. He goes, well, I believe that verse. It's just not now, not yet. Oh, okay. So you are a cessationist. We're just debating the timing of the whole thing. Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) So, all right, relax. We'll get there. You're a cessationist too. We just, you need to refine your understanding of the time, time frame for that. And uh, who knows, you may have uh, a similar approach or success on that basis. All right, so uh, we talk about what's abolished or what's done away and what ceases, what's done away and what ceases, which uh, leaves us with the permanent gifts, the permanent gifts. And and for this, I think we can um, see if we've covered far enough, the permanent gifts um, and then how do I identify my gift? I want to touch on that next week as well. How do I know what my gift is? Do I go to whatismyspiritualgift.com and take a quiz, take a survey? Okay. Um, <laughs> no. Um, God has provided in his text, God has provided for us all things necessary for life and godliness, including the discerning of wisdom. It's a wisdom application. God would have you to know his will. God would have you to know his plan. He would, you're a fool if you don't know his will. And so in knowing the will of God, uh, that includes knowing your gift, knowing your calling, knowing your ministry, knowing the, the work that he's laid before you, identifying the works that are created beforehand that we should walk in them. And so if you lack wisdom, go to him and ask. He gives to all generously and without reproach. And we start to pursue these matters and we start to stir up our gifts. There's different terms that are used. Paul uses these with Timothy. To kindle afresh the gift that is within you. To stir it up, to stir it afresh. And so we'll talk about that. What are the things we do to stir it up? What are the things we do to kindle it up? Where, you know, maybe it's just smoldering a little bit and I stoke that campfire. And I I stir it with a stick, I blow into it, I, I get some more air, some more fuel. And the next thing I know, instead of the little coals, the little embers, now I've got a now I've got a fire that's raging. Okay? Or a big bonfire that's raging, whatever the case may be. That's the imagery that's used here. We want to do that. I, I, I've designed our, our our conceptualized our PMW format in that way. Let's stir up some gift in this. Let's see what we have. You know, put some material together, get in a pulpit, do some teaching, see if something stirs up. And if nothing stirs up, that's okay. We'll try stirring up something else. 
Hugh Crowder jokes a lot about, you know, uh, give a lot of money. We'll see if you have the gift of giving. <laughs> okay, let's stir that up. Oh, you felt bad about doing that? Okay, you don't have the gift of giving. Yeah. All right, a little tongue-in-cheek, a little humor involved. But, but really, fundamentally, though, you know, try some street evangelism. Try some prison ministry. Try some hospital visitation. Try a little of this. Try a little of that. While you're stirring up your own giftedness, get on board with somebody else's ministry. Be a helper in what, what somebody else is doing. You know, do some time in the Sunday school. Do some time in the nursery, okay? Whatever the, the case may be, all right? Just try this, try that, serve here, serve there, and then observe. Observe where the Holy Spirit empowers. So that's a preview. We'll come back next week and, and deal with that some more. Also, I think because of the interest of time, um, we're not going to be able to, to go through all 11 of them to the detail that maybe we, we might want to. Uh, and so uh, for that, uh, you have the notebook to refer to. You have previous MP3s when we taught this in the past. And recently, by the way, we're going through these same 11 gifts uh, next hour at the 730 hour in great depth and detail on a more intermediate and more advanced basis. So uh, there is plenty of teaching there. We, we won't ignore it, but in a single Sunday, we're not going to go to the depth that, uh, that we could go in, uh, in all 11 of those gifts. All right. Any final questions, thoughts, comments, criticisms? All right. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the blessings that we have to study to show ourselves approved. Father, um, open our eyes to these things, particularly, Father, the the Dunaway and the, and the Cease. Father, equip us to explain this, uh, to be able to, uh, to clearly delineate what you have delineated in 1 Corinthians 13 and 14. Father, equip us to deal with these matters, uh, with our friends, with our loved ones, Father, uh, with any who might ask. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.